Well, good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, open up to uh, Revelation chapter 3 as we continue our series. Um, I don't know. I guess I lean uh, one way or the other. I, I don't complain when we have sunshine in April or May. But when we have rain in June, I feel a little, a little bitter. I know that we need it, but uh, it's not good golfing weather out there. Hey, just a few uh, in-house notes. We just uh, have so much going on. Uh, just feel so busy right now. And over the next four weeks, we uh, um, just like many of you, just graduation weekend. Uh, my son-in-law graduated from Oregon State yesterday. My daughter technically graduates from uh, oldest daughter Jam graduates from Portland State today. So we're doing the whole graduation virtual things, which aren't really graduations, but we're doing all that stuff. And um, we've got a busy week this week with the meeting on Thursday and uh, Father's Day coming up. Um, Janine and I are taking a few days off uh, and getting away June uh, 21st through the 26th. And with so much going on, just didn't feel like it was a time to take a Sunday off, so we're here both Sundays. Um, And then I am going to be out for two Sundays in July, and I just want to tell you ahead of time, because if I don't say something, people talk and make up things. Um, But over a year ago, I volunteered to uh, fill in for one of my friends who was going on sabbatical, Um, Greg, who preached here a couple of times when I was on sabbatical. uh, He he was supposed to go on sabbatical right before COVID hit, and he stayed, and so he's on sabbatical right now. And so I'm covering his pulpit two Sundays in July, and so I will be in the office during that time, but I won't be uh, here on Sunday morning, so that's where I am. And, uh, and going up to uh, Sandy and uh, preaching for him. So um, in our series, I just, it just felt like I got a little thrown off here. Uh, I was supposed to end the seven churches next Sunday, um, and then uh, Rich was going to cover a couple of the themes in July, but then we, you know, Dr. Downs preached, and we've got um, Dennis coming up to preach. And so uh, we got a little bit out of order, so we're going to finish the seven churches uh, today, and then... Um, we were, we were going to go right into the throne room and to the Lamb in the next two chapters, but we're going to take a week to just talk about the church's witness in Revelation. We're going to look at that uh, next week, and, it, and you don't want to miss that. It's going to be a good, good uh, talk on Father's Day. You know, we'll say, you know, happy Father's Day, and then we'll dig into our witness, okay? So that's kind of where we are in the series. We're in Revelation chapter 3. We're going to be in verse 14 in a minute. I have a very famous uh, painting up here on the stage uh, with me. Um, how many of you have seen this, this, uh, this artwork before? At, one, at least, okay, almost, almost everybody here. Um, and very famous, been around for a long time, and uh, it has had a very evangelistic overtone over the years. Uh, it's been a passage in Revelation chapter 3 that's been used evangelistically. And what we're going to see today is, although that's in the heart of the message, that's not the specifics of the message. And, um, and so... I want you just to be able to rethink this a little bit this morning. Again, evangelistically, the heart of the message, but not the specifics of it. And so this is Jesus standing at the door of of the church in Laodicea and knocking. And so that's the context here. So the people inside the church, okay, specifically we would would see as believers, not as non-believers. So again, in the heart, but Jesus is standing at the door of the church and knocking, okay? Not just your heart. And so in thinking about that, um, this morning, 
Hillsborough First Baptist Church. Jesus is standing at our door. He's knocking. So let's make sure we understand the context and what Jesus is saying. Revelation chapter 3, uh, verse 14, and, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea, Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit, nice word for vomit, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, Pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you, this is Jesus speaking by the way here, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and solve to anoint your eyes so that you may see Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We've been going through just kind of the same type of little uh, um, outline as we go through these churches, and we start with the background of the city. And um, we have seen that a lot of times the things that are in the city are drawn into the, the story here of what needs to be done, and that is especially true in this city. So a little bit of the background, uh, it was a banking center. This is a very wealthy city, uh, probably more than any of the other cities that we visited. Um, it, was, it was rich. Um, historically, it also was prone to uh, earthquakes as the last city that we looked at. In fact, it had a historic earthquake that destroyed the city, and there was so much wealth within the city that they rebuilt the city completely, better than it was before without any help from Rome. And so they had money, okay? Um, It was known for its soft, raven-black wool. Uh, They just had this this really nice, dark black wool. Um, Some thought it was because uh, of the water in that town that produced this. Um, But Laodicea definitely had a water issue. Uh, It had a high mineral content that made for a beautiful waterfall near the city. Uh, But the drinking water of the city, the water of the city, would literally make you sick. And so they had to uh, pipe water in from seven miles away. Uh, A modern day, uh, you know, uh, an ancient day aqueduct of of water being moved into this city. And so uh, there was two cities nearby that had uh, uh, good water. One was known for its hot springs. Okay, and you know, there's, I mean, there's something nice about going to a hot spring, it feels relaxing, right? There's, there's you know, medical 
uh, stuff that's associated with that. So this city was known for the hot springs. And if you piped that water in, by the time it got to the city, it was lukewarm. There was another city nearby that was known for its really cold springs, okay? And that was also, that cold water is just refreshing, right? You just want a nice cold drink in an area. This is modern-day Turkey. It's hot there, right? And so they have cold water. And if you pipe that water in, by the time it gets to Laodicea, it is lukewarm. And so there's that, that phrase that we grab from there. There was also a, you know, an ancient medical uh, school there in the city, and it was known for coming up with a solve that, that healed uh, eye sicknesses, okay? So, man, all this stuff just keeps, is popping up in this story. Um, then we have the description of Jesus in here, okay? The words of the amen, uh, you know, when we say amen, it's just a, a word that's kind of lost its uh, meaning in some way. It's just kind of like a, in closing at the end of a prayer, okay? Um, think about, uh, you, if those of you who've been in the church for a long time, and you had the old King James, some of you still have it with you, and Jesus was speaking to a group, and he would say, verily, verily, I say unto you, okay? Say, same word here, okay? Okay. Uh, Here's, I'm about to speak some authoritative truth. Okay, so that, that's the, he is the authoritative truth here. Um, he is described as the faithful and true witness. And this is going to be a, a theme uh, that we, and we've talked about it already, but it's a theme that picks up from chapter one. It's appeared a couple of times in the churches, and it goes through the story of Revelation, and it's going to pop up in our sermon uh, next week, when we talk about the witness of the, of the church in the midst of persecution. And Jesus is, is reminding us, okay, as we are moving through in our role of being a witness, that he was the model of the person who was the faithful and true witness. We are following Jesus. Now, there's a difficult phrase in here at the end. If you have your Bibles, look at it, okay? The faithful and true witness... Uh, in the ESV, it says the beginning of God's creation. Um, oh, that kind of, wait a minute. Doesn't Jesus, isn't he, you know, part of the Trinity here, right? Didn't he exist for all eternity past? Beginning in English kind of has this idea of a starting point, okay? Not really necessarily in the Greek. Um, a couple of other translations use the word originator. And I like that better. Uh, he is the originator of creation. Now, Laodicea is mentioned uh, elsewhere in the New Testament, specifically uh, in the letter to uh, the church in Colossae. Uh, at the end, uh, basically, Paul says, say hi to the church in Colossae. And so the, the reading there kind of says, uh, you know, I'm assuming they're listening over the shoulder here, that you're reading this letter here, the, the letter of Colossians would also be read in Laodicea. And there we have Jesus described as, in chapter 1, um, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Again there, the idea not of being a created being, but of being there with Christ. And it says, for by him all things were created. That's a huge statement of Christ's divinity. Because it's very clear in the Old Testament that God created everything. And here it says, 
Jesus created. Everything was created through him. So we have this, we have this reminder here of Jesus being the originator of creation. And I believe where, where the author is going here, where John is going, what Jesus is reminding us, because of where Revelation is going, that Jesus is also the originator of the new creation. Okay, think of Jesus' word. Behold, uh, you fear not, I go to prepare a place for you. He, he is the originator of this new creation, and it's leading us right here at the end of these churches towards the end of the book. Big, huge description here and background just in one verse that just packs a punch in where we are going. So, let's, uh, as we followed our outline, we started with the church's strengths. So let's start with their strengths. This is a church that had it all together on the outside. He says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my... These are all, this is all very clear to the church there. Okay, They know where he's going with this. Now, I want to say, growing up in church youth groups, this is a verse that was totally taken out of context. And our youth pastors would preach to us, God wants you to be on fire for him. He wants you to be hot. In fact, God wants you to be so hot, he would rather you were against him than if you were a lukewarm Christian. That's not what he's saying. Okay, what he's saying is, if your works were hot, that would be useful. And if your works were cold, that would be useful. But your works, not so much. And so, on the outside, right, I know your works, and he goes on later and he says, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. My bank account is good. My retirement account is full. The church budget is fine. We're, we're, we got, we're fine. But there's something going on deeper. So what are the weaknesses? Well, their works are useless. They're I wish they were cold. I wish they were hot. They're, they're, they're lukewarm. They're not good for anything. In fact, listen to what he's saying. Your works make me what? Sick. That, I don't think you want Jesus saying that. Now, we struggle with this concept of works. And we have this repeated phrase in all the churches here, I know your works. I know your works. I know your works. And and John has followed those up with, with, you know, some, these are good works, these are bad works, this is what you need to do. But, but we have this concept of God knowing our works, what we're doing. And here, clearly, not just the works, but we've seen in the churches our attitude behind the works, our heart behind the works, the effectiveness of our works, why we're doing the works, all these concepts. And I just... We struggle with those because those of us, we grew up in the church, and, and those of you who grew up in the church, it's like, I'm saved by faith, 
through grace alone, not by my works. My works don't matter. No, that's not what it says. It doesn't say they don't matter. It says that we're not saved by them. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, where we, we hear this passage, I want to remind you of something and, and just kind of grab a hold of it this morning. Okay, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Okay, uh, Through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works. We're not, we're not saved as a, so that you wouldn't boast. But it doesn't end there. Verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship. We're his, we, we are his picture that he pins up on his refrigerator. You, you are in Christ, his work of art. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We were created to do the works. And th this is the best part which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so we're reminded that God has created us. He has given this restored image, and he has given us things to do that he's prepared for us to do, and he set them out before us, and we're to walk in them. And so they're there. But the works that are going on in Laodicea, they're a different kind of work. They're not useful. Part of the problem is that the church is self-sufficient. The church is self-sufficient. He says, verse 17, For you say, I am rich. I have prospered. Notice, I need nothing. Now, I am very aware that as I prepared this message and I wrote on my notes, the weakness, listen, the weakness of the church in Laodicea is self-sufficiency. But Dave, I am a red-blooded American. And self-sufficiency is a value. If I say I am self-sufficient, I've arrived. I've done it. I don't need anybody's help. Okay? Just two graduations. What's the goal, parents? Right? But listen. We are His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he prepared beforehand. The works that we do, we do because we are being transformed into his image. The works that we do, we do because Christ gave them to us to do. The works that Christ gives us to do, we do through him. Everything that we do that is an answer to the prayer, hallowed be your name. Everything we do is what Christ gives us to do to glorify the Trinity. Now, I'm not saying 
then we should just sit down and just wait. Okay? Notice the works were prepared in advance for you to walk in them. There is movement happening. We, we go out there and we discover what Christ has put before us to do for the kingdom of God. But we don't say, I can do this. Now, I, I understand the, you know, the, the pull and the joys of self-sufficiency. Okay, I can remember when my girls were little and you're trying to grab their hand because you're crossing the street. But they're starting to get the age where they're doing one of these things. Like, nah, I don't need your help. And part of you is like, going, oh, they're growing up. The other part of you is, hey, you little kid over here. You're not crossing that street without me. But somehow we come to this idea that, that we're saved by God's grace because there's, there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves and Christ saves us and then we go, okay, I don't need you anymore. Let go. No, you, you need to understand not only can you not save yourself, you can't survive one moment without Him. Ministry can't survive without dependence on Him. We have to hold on to the Father's hand or we won't make it. We also see in the church, and listen, we, we, Jesus is standing at the door knocking. And so please listen to these things. He's knocking on our door. The church was prideful. For you say, I am rich. I'm sorry, I've never heard anybody, I won't use the word never. I can't think of a time when I've heard somebody talking about their financial situation that is well off. Where it wasn't men is kind of a little, ta-da. Oh, but Jesus did it for him. It's his blessing. Great. Why'd you have to tell me about it then? I, we're rich. You know what I've heard about you at church in Laodicea? You're rich. And I, I've read the Old Testament, okay? I know there's a lot of promises, okay? I get that. But please understand, not everybody is rich. that that's a blessing from God. And not everybody who's poor is being cursed by God. He said, you're rich. There's a prideful note to that. And I, I, I need for nothing. There's, there's a prideful note to that. I have, I have. He goes on to say, um, again, verse 17, kind of just dwelling in here. He says, for you say I am rich, I've prospered, I have need of nothing, not realizing that you are wretched. Um, whew, wow, there's a word. Um, you don't use that in casual conversation, do you? Um, it really kind of has the idea kind of too of just being unhappy, uh, of just being, not just being evil, but, but being unhappy. And trust me, the people in Laodicea are going, man, I, I got everything I need. I am not unhappy. And Jesus is basically saying, oh, yes, you are. 
you're very unhappy. And we talked about this last week. The United States, one of the wealthiest nations on the planet, has the most people in counseling than any other nation on the planet. So money isn't making everybody happy. So they're, they're, they're unhappy. It's, it's just a, a bad situation. And he says they're poor. <laughs> you just almost imagine the truth. No, we're not. Nuh-uh. When it comes to the spiritual things, you are poor. Blind. Wait a minute. we got a really good medical school here. Naked. Wait, we've got some of the finest garments anywhere in, in Asia Minor. He just calls them out on all their strengths. So what's the call here? Verse 18. And I love, that. I love the phrase here. I counsel you. Um, here's your... Here's the situation you think you're in. Here's the situation you currently are in. There's the reality. You're really poor. You're naked before me. And so I would like to counsel you towards some improvement. Jesus is at the door knocking. This is probably pretty good counsel. Would you agree? This is good counsel. Would you agree? Okay, okay, thank you. I was worried there for a second. He says, buy for me gold refined by the fire. Now, just look, listen to the context for a little second. They're rich, but Jesus says you're poor and you need to buy something. You know, this is a scam sometimes in the United States where we, we sell things to poor people. If you want to get out of debt, buy my program. And we accept Visa and MasterCard. Oh, jeez. Um, I hear from TV preachers. If you want God's blessing, send me some money. Okay? So, look, he's not saying, he's not talking about their earthly money. He's talking about their spiritual account, which in their spiritual account, they're what? Poor. They're bankrupt. And now he's saying, buy something from me. Well, that presents a problem. And I think he's referring to, and I think the reader is meant to hear from Isaiah chapter 55. Beautiful passage. Um, in Isaiah 55, um, it says this. Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. And he who has no money... Come, buy, and eat. Wait a second. Did you hear that? He who has no money, come and buy. I want to go to that store, right? Fred Meyer does not seem to operate on that system. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligent to me and eat what is good. And delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant. Look, he is saying here, 
in this concept. He wants them to buy this refined gold. How do we buy refined gold? How do we buy gold with no money? And I think the answer is here. So, so listen, church. I think, first of all, you have to recognize your current state. And their state is not that they're rich. Their state is that they are spiritually poor. And this is one of the biggest, we've talked about this, this is one of the biggest issues that is happening in the evangelical church today is that people want to say, there's no sin. That sin isn't really a problem. Until you recognize your need for Christ, you're never going to get there. We have to recognize that we are sinners separated from a holy God, and there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. Recognize the state that we're in. For a church, he is saying, recognize the state that your church is in. You can't get better until you recognize you have a problem. And so the first thing is recognize your true state. Now, I think there's this gold refined by fire. The idea of being refined in the book of Revelation. And you're going to love this. It has a very simple way for believers to be refined. It's not even a three-point sermon. It's not five easy... It's just one step. You ready for it? Suffering. When we are in the midst of suffering for Jesus, we are being refined. And so he is referring to this process. Behold, stand at the door and knock. I am counseling you. And I would remind us here that the gift, the, 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 the gold, the, the garments that he is speaking of, they're free. They're free when we recognize our need. We bow ourselves to the King of Kings and say, I can't do it on my own. I'm not sufficient. And I am meeting more and more people. I just, I can't say that. I don't want to teach my kids that they're not enough. I don't want to teach my kids that there's nothing that they can't do on their own. And I'm just saying for me, personally, if I thought I had to do it, if I thought this was all on me, I would not want to get up in the morning. When I leave here, Hillsborough First Baptist Church, some are going to say, Dave didn't do this good, Dave didn't do that good, Dave could have done better here. You know what I'm going to say to you? You're right. You're right. It wasn't enough. I could have done more. But I'm also going to rejoice in the things that Christ used me to do in the lives of people, not because of Dave Fields, but because of what Jesus was doing in your life. Both are true. 
And if I lean too far on one or the other, I got a problem. If I say I'm sufficient, behold, Jesus stands at the door and knocks. And if I just lie in my misery, guess what? David doesn't walk in the things that Jesus has set out for him to do. So we recognize the state that we're in. We're being refined by the suffering that we're going through, and we receive this free gift. He says, I counsel you to buy gold and to buy white garments. Well, that's a bummer because uh, black garments are really popular in Laodicea. Um, But we get the Bible concept here, right? Okay, from Jesus' point of view, do you want white garments or dark garments, right? We We want white garments who, ironically, have been washed by blood. Okay, this, this idea, and he says very specifically here, he says, I counsel you to buy white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. Um, there's just this concept from Scripture, right, right from the beginning. God places Adam and Eve in the garden. They're naked and there's no shame. And we've talked about this. It's hard for us to, to picture a moment in time where we weren't thinking about what somebody else was thinking about, where we weren't trying to to leverage ourselves and all these things. None of that was going on. They lived in this peace with a holy God, but they chose to define good and evil on their own and in their pride separate themselves from God. And instantly they recognize their shame and, and God has to cover that for them. And so we see this concept of nakedness and shame. And it's really here a call to repentance, isn't it? Cover up your shame. How? By, by garments that are, that are given to you through Christ. There's also a picture here of Isaiah chapter 20. And man, I'm telling you, poor Isaiah. Isaiah walked around naked for three years as part of his uh, preaching ministry. Okay? And, and part of it was to talk about the shame that Israel would experience when they were being led out of the promised land because of their sin. And so shame follows sin, and we need to be washed clean by Jesus. He also says that they need to uh, anoint their eyes, okay? They need to put this ointment in your eyes. He says, uh, I hate that word, so I'm using the word anoint because I don't have to say it too much. Anoint your eyes, right? You guys, some of you guys have done this, or you got a little something going on, you put a little drops in your eyes or a little bit of cream around your eyes for whatever thing that's going on. And, and what, is it, what is that supposed to do? It's supposed to make your vision better. And so what is, what is Jesus? You have a vision problem. You know, I just, there's so many different personalities. Um, and it just even within my kids, I, I just see that. Oh, I'll be talking with, I won't throw anybody on the bus. I'll be talking with one child. And, and you know, I've been working for this company for three months and I, I, need a, I deserve a raise. Dad, how do I go ask for a raise? And I'm like, going, oh my goodness, are you kidding me? I'm like, I don't know. I, and I'm thinking of my life. I'm like, I don't know that I've, I mean, it's so hard to ask for that. And you, you're going to do that after? And my, another child just offered a new position. And Dad, I think they're paying me too much. I'm like, that's not a thing we say. <laughs> so we don't see ourselves correctly. Can I, can I just, and I know some of you go, oh, I've met your kids, Dave. They're broken. No, look, we all have trouble seeing ourselves. 
We talk about at the fall, our relationship with God was broken. Our relationship with others was broken. Our relationship with the world that we live in was broken. And our relationship with ourself was broken. We don't see ourselves. And, you know, I've found the older that some of us get, the less we appreciate when somebody points out something we don't see. Some of you are getting a little crotchety and you don't like to hear about it. No. Look, we, we don't like it when somebody points something out. Or when we see something in somebody else. And you know what? I've found some of the things that irritate me and other people the most is what? Yeah, my weaknesses, right? Same things that I do. And so look, what he is saying, and I, I think we all need to hear this, is we all need some spiritual ointment that we might have a, a right vis- vision of ourselves. The right vision of our church. So t- uh, next thing, uh, just as we're moving on, verse, uh, counsel you to buy these things. Verse 19, uh, to those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Be zealous and repent. In a sense, take your medicine. And you know what the, you know what the medicine is? Sometimes Jesus is, is saying, and it's clear throughout Scripture, those I love, I discipline. I don't know, again, not a popular word in our society, but Jesus is saying, look, when I love you, I discipline you. Why? So that you get better. Okay, so take your medicine and be zealous and repent. And we've had this this, uh, picture again and again. And so uh, look at it as he moves into verse 20. He's he's giving this, this illustration now to a church who's not in good shape. And so he says in verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. And I just, I want you to see the context from the verse above is spiritual discipline. I get the heart of the message, right? Let Jesus into your heart. I get that, okay? Um, And I've heard it so many times and I get the heart of it. Uh, The Bible study methods teachers, pardon me, the hair goes up a little bit in the back of my neck, just to be honest. Because the context is, it's church discipline. And, and it, oof. okay, I, I want you to picture for a minute, you're a little kid in a healthy home. So for some of you, that's already beyond your comprehension. Mom and dad love you. They love Jesus. But you did something wrong. And mom said, Wait till your father gets home. And that's what you're doing. You're sitting in your room, and you hear the car pull up. You hear the door open, and then you hear, and you hear the footsteps coming down the door your door, and dad says, that's the picture of behold, I stand at the door and knock. Now, what happens when the door opens up? Here's here's the picture. You're in trouble. And Jesus says, open up the door, and we're going to have a dinner. What? What? 
That's what it says. Jesus is coming down the hall. He knocks on the door. And grace will meet you there. And so there's just a pattern. You need to hear. Oh, not on my notes. You need to hear. What, what, whatever Jesus is saying to you, whatever Jesus is saying to us, you need to hear. And you need to open the door. And when you open the door, you enjoy fellowship. Look, it might include some discipline, but it's also going to involve a hug and a meal. And it's not right here in the context, but here's the interesting part. Jesus is, let's just put it into the your heart thing for a minute, the picture of the church. Jesus is standing at the door. He's knocking. You open up the door. I've read the end of the story. Guess what? He also makes the meal. And and that was also speaking to the culture. In that culture, if a Roman soldier knocked on your door, you had to let him in. You had to feed, clothe, house them, whatever you do. Okay? I mean, you... You, probably, you didn't live in these cities and have your lights on at night because you didn't want anybody knocking at your door. Jesus is knocking at your door. You're going to let him in, and he's going to make you a meal. That's grace. It's a beautiful picture. But here's the problem. Jesus is knocking, and the church is saying, I'm rich. I have plenty. I have all I need. I need nothing. And they don't open the door. How about you? Jesus is knocking. On the believer's heart. Because he wants to clean some stuff out of your marriage, of your checkbook, of your church activities, of our church, are we going to open the door and let them in? The promise is that those who conquer sit with Jesus on the throne. Um, So, oh, there's the here, sorry, open, there you go. They were on my notes. Um, It's an interesting picture here. Um, And I I sometimes struggle with the picture here. He says, um, verse 21, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. Wow. Kind of like daughter that I just, I don't know know if I'm ready to receive that. That seems like a pretty big job. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know if I'm deserving of that. But look at the, look at the picture here. He says, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I conquered and sat down with my father on the throne. God is on the throne. Jesus, because of his conquering, is invited into that. And the church, as we conquer and stay faithful in the midst of trials and continue to be faithful and true in our witness, the church sits with Jesus on the throne. But it's all under the umbrella of the father. So what's the application here? Behold, Hillsborough First Baptist Church, individuals, if you're sitting here, Jesus is standing, the, the car is coming up in the driveway, 
Dad has gotten out of the car. He's come to the front door. He's talked with mom. He is standing there knocking. What do we do? Open the door. Thank you. Good job. You know, as I was thinking of this self-sufficient church and, and I'm rich and all these things, I just, I love the verse. I've repeated it many times. It's been an application before, but man, I'll tell you, it just what really hit me for me, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will make your path straight. Look, we need to, as a church, as individuals, to trust in the Lord with all of our strength. That's not trust your strength to the Lord. That is, with everything you have, we are trusting Jesus as he leads us into what he has for us to do. And that means I don't always see correctly, but trust me, when we're following Jesus, all of us, when we're following Jesus, you kind of, where's he go? I, I would go, I would go the other, Jesus. And the reason why is we don't have the right spiritual vision. And so we need to lean not on our own understanding. I'm telling you, you come into my office and say, I got this figured out, I'm pretty much going to tell you, you probably don't. Look, I get it. We're growing and we're, we're learning and we're trying to figure out the culture and what it means to be a church. But in general, like, I tend to see things poorly. Lean not on our own understandings. And then, you know what? As God is doing good things, acknowledge that he is doing it. Acknowledge him. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And that's what's happened. That's what God is calling this church to. That's what he's calling our church to. It's what he's calling each of you to. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this morning. Challenging words from the churches. We've just been in it deep. It's not going to get any easier as we go through Revelation. And it's, it's hard for us as a church as we're in the midst of transition ourselves. But God, we pray that we would have open hearts. We pray that we would, uh, as been laid before us, learn to pray better so that we might hear from you better. God, that we might be a church that's following you. So God, I pray that you would just um, speak, speak to us, guide us, that we might be open to confess our faults. God, I just pray that um, you would, would just encourage us as a church this morning through your word. Uh, thank you that you've prepared works for us in advance to do. May we walk in them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.